Welcome to What's on Your Souls, a relational podcast where you can relax and enjoy conversation, inspiration, encouragement, and motivation in a judgment-free space. Don't continue to drag around that emotional debris. Here's what's next on this episode. We are going to do uh, a continuation or almost not even, it's connected. That's the word we decided. You and Carla are yep. connected. Yep. But today we're going to talk a little bit about your story. And we are going to sit in the words of value and love, which Carla did. But we will talk about these from your perspective. Have a seat on the porch and let's examine what's on your souls. This is Mia, and I'd like to welcome everyone to the What's On Your Soul podcast. Always so grateful for your time and attention. We know that that is a commodity and that you need to be intentional about where you deposit that. And so we're always grateful when you tune in with us. This is a figurative conversation on the front uh, porch, examining what's on the bottom of our souls. Um, Today's particular podcast is very precious and exceptional to me in that normally when people sit on the porch with me, I start this podcast by saying, this is a great friend. This is how we have spent time together. This is where we know one another. Today, uh, I am honored to have a guest that not in so much that we have spent any time together, but his wife and I have spent quite a bit of time together. And out of the graciousness and thoughtfulness of who he is, he has decided to, um, help us complete what we started. So my guest today is Kenton Guest. Uh, Hello, Kenton. Hi, Mia. And I spent uh, quite a bit of time earlier in my life and still do with his wife. And then Carla Getz, his wife, sat on the podcast that was before this podcast and shared her story somewhat, talked about it to a certain length. And of course, her story bled into Kenton's because you've been married how long? Oh, now you're going to put me on the spot. Come on, Kenton. It's 27 Kenton. years. Come on. And then, and you share how many children together? We have five children, four boys and then a girl. Absolutely. And so it's really um, challenging to talk about your life in one context without it not bleeding into another human beings, which, which you have shared 27 years and five kids with. Yep. And so in order for us to serve the listening audience well and for us to tell the completion of what I felt like was Carla's story and her journey, she was so mindful about trying to only speak to her life and not to blur the lines, yet it is difficult to do when you've been married to someone for 27 years. And so Kenton has so graciously agreed to come sit on the porch, and I was telling him before this started the gift of this. So thank you, Kenton. Uh, you're welcome, yeah. And we are going to do uh, a continuation or almost not even, it's connected. That's the word we decided. You and Carla are yep. connected. Yep. But today we're going to talk a little bit about your story. And we are going to sit in the words of value and love, which Carla did. But we will talk about these from your perspective. And so I want everyone to get very comfortable sit down on the porch. There's a good breeze coming through. It's a beautiful day today. It's a gorgeous day today. And so we're going to take advantage of that in our conversation, Kenton and I. It's going to be easy uh, and truthful, vulnerable, uh, and open and transparent because the goal is always to teach someone and help someone beside us or behind us. We will take a break. And when we get back, I'm going to start asking Kenton a million questions. Uh, and he's going to share what he will with us. And so for our listening audience, we encourage you to go to miaimbro.com. 
hit that leave a comment button. Tell us what you'd like to hear about in the future, or even if you have any comments about the conversation and dialogue that Kenton and I will share today. And then we'd also encourage you to go to any platform that supports a podcast, whether that be Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, type in what's on your souls, Mia Embro, subscribe, like, share. The numbers have been tremendous and we appreciate you for that. And we just um, continually encourage you to subscribe and share with others. We will be right back. More conversation on the way from what's on your souls with Mia. In the meantime, if you have a comment, log on with your laptop or smartphone to miaembro.com. That's M-I-A-M-B-R-O-H.com. From the audio player, click the leave a comment link. Let your voice be heard. Now, back to more of what's on your souls. We are back and we are sitting on the porch. Are you comfortable? I am. You have everything you need? Yes, I do. Okay, so we have shoes off figuratively, soles upturned. So we're talking about value and love. And Carla and I, Carla brought those words to the table. Those meant a lot to her. Yeah, And so I I think it's very honoring to continue that conversation to the human being that she has shared her life with. So when you think of those words, Kenton, value and love, and whatever that means to you, what does that sound like? That's a great, it is a great question, Mia. As I, I, I think about it, I think about it a couple ways, right? Um, and is this being a continuation or connection to Carla's story and being able to think about value and love? Um, what does it mean to live as a husband that value and loves my wife in a way that she experiences value and love? Yes. And I'm handicapped because what I experience in value and love doesn't speak to her from a value and love right. perspective. And so as I go through this and think about it, I'm, I, it, I process it into really at kind of two levels. Uh, my learning journey in being a husband, I would say I experience value by being able to love well. And I experience, um, uh, oh, insecurities. Yes. When I feel like I'm trying to love well or value well or love well, and it's, not, uh, it is, it, it is, um, it's not commi- connecting. Okay. And I would imagine that that is very frustrating because it, it sounds like the intent is there, the, but the impact that, is not right. matching the intent. That, that's exactly right. right. And hence, one of the words we've had a chance to meet as a, as, uh, as a couple is how do you grow a coupleship? And that's where I you'd probably have to go back, um, in my experiences of what, what, what are the, what is the origin, right? What, what about my family? What was it that I perceived as value and where I perceived my own value? And, um, you know, one of the things I've, I've, one of the things has been a, a, um, a bane in our marriage that was brought on by me was my addiction to pornography. And so my relationship with pornography started at really a very young age. Um, and this is what I've heard a lot of men's story, but my, mine in particular, uh, was we'd find the Playboy magazines in the in the creek when I'd be walking around with my friends. We would find, you know, one of my friends would have access to movie channels uh, growing up or um, a father that had Playboys laying around. And so I do remember the emotion and the spark um, and the attraction, attractiveness, uh, but also what felt wrong. Um, and so it was a mixed message uh, growing up. And at that point, then, um, what I would say is I think 
Uh, that, that began my relationship pornography. And it wasn't I had consistent access. But there was always uh, be great for a while, but then it would be, okay, where could I find it? Or how could I experience that again? Which are the traits of addictive behavior, oh, right? Yes. So I, um, you are flowing, and I love that. But there are a couple of things that I want to stop because the intent yep. is always to... Uh, when I'm empathizing with those that are listening, I know I have a tendency to know where people get caught and want to know more about it. Absolutely. So uh, one of the things that I want to talk about is, and I was talking about this even before we started this, it is such a common conversation in society now to talk about or to see pornography. It is so much more accessible than you even talking about finding the playboy. Oh yeah. yeah. You don't even have, you don't, I mean, you were working way too hard, right? So that's right. I, so that's right. I, um, so we have a tendency as a social organization or society to normalize things mm-hmm. in order to absolve ourselves mm-hmm. of any indictment that might imply yep. that somehow we need to take ownership of something that is not healthy, right, well, um, or wrong in any way. And I'm not even, I'm not, um, throwing out an edict either way. I'm just saying what I have observed as a therapist about human behavior, that we have a tendency to do that. So then how would, I guess my question is, Kenton, what what was that about you that made you even consider that it might be wrong? Because it's certainly not, I mean, it's prevalent. So it's certainly not thought of as, quote, wrong. Well, I mean, early, I mean, back growing up, pornography was wrong. Uh, So I grew up a pastor's kid. So my dad is um, uh, been in the pastorate. We was he actually was uh, taught at Dallas Theological Seminary uh, before writing a book and then moving into pastorate, founding churches here in the Dallas area. And really, uh, if I look at my dad's career, my dad's career, even though he was in the pulpit, I would say truly was a shepherd to other pastors. And he was a pastor's pastor. And when he pastored his own church, he really was a shepherd to the flock. Very empathetic. Uh, very professorial is, is teaching as well. And I go to these lengths in his career. I think he's, he has had a tremendous impact in people's lives, and I am so thankful for the opportunity to have grown up underneath that. At the same time, um, my family, my mom, did everything to support. I have two older sisters and, um, that are six and seven years older than me, and probably in the formative times of my career, second grade is when he's moved from the seminary and started a church pastoring the flock, mom incredibly supportive, never saw them argue, hardly ever saw them argue or have conflict. And so I think that's one of the aspects of value was no conflict. And how do you even address conflict in the house? I I saw them get frustrated from time to time and I'd hear them talk about how they would go off and and talk about conflict. Uh, But for the most part, it was peaceful. And mom really supported dad and our life really kind of um, evolved around the ministry Mm -hmm. and the mission. Mm-hmm. And I was given a lot of freedom. So it's not like I had an iron fist. You will go to church. You will do this. So I didn't grow up in an authoritarian at okay. all. As a matter of fact, when my dad started um, Fellowship Bible Church, we were actually members of Northwest Bible Church. My mm-hmm. sisters were in junior high. And so you could imagine a trauma that they would experience. I can only imagine. If there had been a requirement <laughs> yes, for them to move to a Correct. church that was starting that didn't have a... They yes. didn't have a youth ministry that was founded, connections. And so this is very much how my dad was, is even as the pastor of the church, he went to this, my sisters and said, look, you can come if you want, but you can also, you're more than welcome to stay at Northwest Bible Church. 
because that's where your friends are. Mm-hmm. And that's the community. So the community and connection, being committed to the mission and vision, that really is a picture of my dad and his heart. Okay. And his shepherd. So what is the, so, and that is true. That is who, and I, that's right. And I know you are his son, but I know there are millions of other people who would agree with you about your dad. So yet and still, when you look back, Kenton, is there, what, so what do you, what do you say? So but my yet, connection with yes. my dad. Okay. So the way I would describe it, we've actually had some conversation about this and uh, he used to share a story from the pulpit and as adults, adults would look at this and go, Oh man, that's great. And it's a microcosm of my relationship with my dad. Okay. And, and I look back at it as how an adult perceives it, yet how a child perceives it. Always two very different things. Two very different things. And so I, I love football and it was very, very competitive. Wanted to win at all cases. And so there was, you know, grew up in a neighborhood of kids all around the same age. We played football in the front yard. And so we were out playing football. And I was a good quarterback. And so I wanted to play quarterback because um, I felt like I was the best quarterback. And so I would always be quarterback and my dad was watching and we're doing, and he had a feeling like I was being too, you know, actually some good things to identify and that I wasn't sharing or maybe being aware of my competitiveness. So he opened the door and said, Hey, Kenton, come on in. And so I came on in and he sat and he said, Hey, look, he goes, you're a great quarterback. You do really well, but some of the other kids want to be quarterback. And so I'd really encourage you to go out and be, and let other people be quarterback. And I was like, okay. Um, I, don't remember in those kinds of things, typically when my dad, I feel like I did something wrong or something bad as a result of that. And, but that's okay. Then I went back out and performed in a manner that was talked about And the microcosm that it was from a child's perspective, looking back is many times when my dad and I intersected, it was always about him entering into my world as an instructor, Mm. as a teacher, Mm -hmm. which I think many parents, we do. And I am, I see, I just naturally do that now as a father. And I absolutely try to be aware when I'm doing that. And so one of the things that I do, and I think with one of my sons, I've had a conversation and I was, there were issues that need to be addressed, right? So I really struggle. How do you address the issues? But yet I want to avoid creating the intersection where I know it's right. I'm the all-knowing authority. I'm the all-knowing authority. Mm -hmm. And it's, I've had limited success in those kinds of things. And I think one of the areas I had a chance, I was talking to one of my sons and about studies and all these things. And I it had a breakthrough. We were working on his truck and I came back around and the, the conversation of what I wanted him to get had devolved. He'd shut down and it wasn't great. And I had, I was going, okay, this, what I have to say, I think is true. It need to be spoken, but God, you got to help me here. So I came back around and I had a chance to say, Hey, look to my son, what you're hearing is fear and I'm fearful in that when I see, I see you get excited about something and then you hit a hard time. You're like, Oh, it's not worth it. You throw your hands up and then walk away. And either I don't know what that's about, but my fear is in these grades, you've done so well that all of a sudden you're hitting turbulence and you're just going to walk away. So that's fear. And so I want to encourage you because I think you can do it. I know you can do well, but then I started making it about my fear versus an instructor that is a that is a lot of work it is a lot of on work on my part but it makes all the difference in the delivery all the difference it, 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 it makes it safe yes. and i saw i saw energy in that in that particular instance come up um and move back into uh don't throw your hands up don't give up i believe in you i know you can do it 
and why I'm honing in on these things as I see some things that really strike fear in me. And so I had a chance to go through that. So I contrast that from, you know, with, with me growing up and, and dad really intersecting in my world from an instructional perspective. I, and I, I think there my value was do things right. So I was afraid to make mistakes. Sure. Because each time I was doing what I wanted, then there was an instruction of correction. how to do correction mm-hmm. and then what other people thought. Yes. So then what other people think become the value, not necessarily um, being able to think through, okay, what do I want to do? And is it harming someone else or is it who I made? That's good, Kitten. Okay, we're going to have to take a quick break. This is the stuff that dreams are made of. It has such a value um, for the listening audience and for all of us sitting here with you. And I'm so appreciative. We're going to take a quick break. I encourage all of those listening to go to Mia Embro and leave a comment. If Absolutely. If you have thoughts uh, or uh, just reflections on what Kitten is saying, because I think this is such a familiar story for so many. And we will be right back. While we're having great conversation with What's on Your Souls with Mia Embro, we wanted to thank you for listening. And we look forward to hearing from you at miaembro.com. There you can get caught up on previous shows, comment, or even give us feedback. All right, let's get back to our final segment as we wrap up What's on Your Souls. All right, we're still on the porch. No one has run off. Yeah, we're still here. We're still here rocking and having the time of our life. It's still a beautiful day. So encouraged by what has been uh, talked about this far. So now we're going to step right into, you did a wonderful job of, talking about your family of origin and all the greatness, but the, just the little missteps that somehow unintentionally left, whatever that is, debris on the bottom of your soul. That's to right. change the gate right. and the walk of you unintentionally. I already right. know that. How does that look when you find this beautiful girl that you decide you want to marry? So, uh, man, how did that look? So it, our relationship, um, well, we didn't know any better and she had me on a pedestal and so I pastor's kid really I I've made some mistakes and the part about the pornography was kind of a secret was kind of it had been hit or miss about it most part it was so not your part parents of did, your parents didn't know anything about that no actually I had talked to them even when I was a kid they so they I were, would told them hey okay. I found a playboy in the mag in the creek and so we had some conversation they said hey look there Mom was very good at not shaming uh, on those things. Um, and so, and, and it wasn't shaming, but also it was like, that's, yes, we don't want to look at those things. We want to guard our eyes, guard our heart. Um, so those are the kinds of conversations. Sure. And it would have been, you know, ups and downs, nothing that was pervasive. I mean, thank goodness the internet was not then what it is today. Yes. The story could be, I think, the story would be absolutely drastically different for me. So at that point, you really did, to your point, you had to work. Yes. To find it. And it's a shameful, it, it is a, it is a sin and a behavior that is filled with shame. Um, so that really, from an addiction perspective, from a really daily addiction or trying to manage my schedule so that I could access it, uh, access pornography, um, that really sunk in in 2000. In 2000, 2001. When did you and Carla marry? We got married in 92. Okay. So and from so, 92, so I'm going to do, again. That's I'm right. Speak, so from your, I think what I'm hearing you say, from 92 to 2001, yep. all is well? Yes. So from an, 
from an addiction to pornography mm-hmm. all as well. Mm-hmm. It was not a, Your ability was, to manage that well, without it. It's not even a part of my life. Okay. It, literally, okay. it's not a part of my life. But as I've had to work through my recovery process from becoming addicted and being a secret addiction with pornography from 2000 to 2004, 2004, confessing it to Carla. Um, and then I would say that started a desert experience in our marriage from 2004 through 2015, a decade, more than half of our marriage during that time. What do you mean? Up so and down. What does a desert experience look like? So I was trying to overcome it. Would have long periods of sobriety, even a year, uh, three years from pornography or, or a year from pornography, three years from masturbation. Mm-hmm. And so from those types of activity, it would, it would be good, but then I would fail. And then it would, would be another discouragement in the relationship. We were trying and working, but you know, Carla really didn't didn't know how to respond. Um, and my one of my hearts is for the women of addicts. Yes. So when I look, I think as a society, we really there's not a lot of material. There's not a lot of help. There's not a lot of support for the wives or spouses or partners of addicts. Right. That's because, like we were saying in the beginning, Ken, because not everybody thinks that that's a problem. Yeah. And and the focus is on the guy getting better or what was wrong in the marriage. And Carla and I... And that is... Yes. That can't be further from the truth because although there's always challenges in a marriage in any relationship... My addiction was my addiction. So where's the where where are you in process now? How is the moving so, forward going? So moving forward is going well. I'd have to sl- I'd have to come back though because I want to expand the addiction a little bit. Okay. And it goes straight to your straight to your question on conversation of value. So you said ninety two to two thousand, everything's fine. Yeah, I mean we had the normal things. But looking back as I went through the desert and recovery experience and trying to figure things out, trying to put things back in place doing better, failing, doing better, failing, the marriage getting further and further um, disrupted, uh, Carla feeling further invalued, me not feeling affirmed in the relationship, and just our relationship going the wrong way. 92 to 2000, I was a sex addict and didn't know it. So our relationship, for me, the primary way of connecting was Mm -hmm. physical. Mm -hmm. And what do you mean physical isn't the primary of my wife connecting? And so all she'd ever heard was uh, submit, it's a primary way, healthy relationship. And so those two coming together, I yes. was very demanding yes. and didn't know it. So never allowed her any space to say no. And then she not experienced disappointment or maybe a cold shoulder on my, sp- on my side. And then I would cycle through, go, okay, no, that's fine. I understand. It's, you, you do that, not feel, okay, a couple days. And, you know, I mean, we, couldn't have been having enough success, enough mm-hmm. sex for me. Mm-hmm. For me, it was a primary, and that's how I felt connected. valued and connected. And loved. And I felt and loved. I was pulling value and love out of our marriage by my sexual demands and didn't even know it, leaving no space for Carla's desire or lack of for a physical relationship. And and she wants a physical relationship. I heard her say she wants a physical relationship, but mine was a demand. So she kept feeling less and less love through our physical relationship, which I felt less and less connected. But looking back, I was a sex addict and didn't even know it. So you know because of what I was demanding and pulling yeah. out of the relationship for my value. We're probably gonna have to do a part two on this, you know this, right? 
because this can have a million questions behind it. And it, I think it's such an important conversation. Oh yeah, that that to me is Definitely. even more important than the pornography. It is because it speaks to Carla, which I know we're talking about, but it speaks to, you know, I know that you know this, you've been married to her 27 years, but her not knowing her not even having a clear definition of value and love from her family of origin, mm -hmm. and then meeting this handsome, phenomenal guy that she has on a pedestal and thinking, oh, here he is. Yeah. This is the one. This is going to be the answer to everything, right. to all my longing, right. all my need. And then the cumulative coming together of the two of you, you with yours, hers with yours, was the perfect storm. That's right. To produce what it did. That's it, right. And it's exactly true. right. So we're going to have to do a part two, right, production? Obviously, we will. So what I want you to do for this moment, Ken, sure. because we will do a time again, and it might be that we are behind the mic with both you and Carla at yep. the same time, yep. which would probably be great. What if you were speaking to any, and I'm going to be specific. Well, we, no, okay. I'm not. It can no. be woman or man, because you did speak to the women in the marriage. Yeah. Um, what would be your words of wisdom just in general in regards to, we're going to talk about coupling, couples, yep. or before they become a couple, what is the conversation, the dialogue, the awareness, the ownership that needs to take place in regards to those words, value and love before the coupling occurs? So I guess I'm going to project a little bit here. Now my son's about to get married, so I'm kind of thinking about I him. I was thinking about that. Um, and so what would I tell him is kind of where my mind it's a goes great, to this. That's a great place to start. And so where, where I would look back is, I have a faith in Christ. Uh, as um, my Lord and Savior. And so that is foundational. Um, I am, this process has helped me learn. Uh, this process has helped me learn how I need to rest on Him daily for everything. Uh, and it's not just the relationship. I mean, it, it is, you know, okay, in sales. God, you have to open the door. I got to plant the seeds. I got to be um, sending out emails, making phone calls, being in conversations, but you have to open the door. I don't control anything else. I control, I need to work like it depends on me and then be in prayer like it depends on God. And that is new. Life had been fairly easy for me growing up. And, and so from that perspective, the fact that I ran into any kind of turbulence or really at this point allowed myself to get into an addiction to pornography was devastating to my own self-worth. And value because I was it, it's also it's also actually more about my pride than it is about the shame mm -hmm. and those two go hand in hand because well no I'm getting gets there's no way that's me no way. but it yeah. was me yes it was me and it is me and so then the only way is I ran two things that I felt helped me escape and where I could feel pursued in my own mind I could feel loved because pornography, everyone thinks about the bodies, it's about the eyes. For me, it was about the eyes in the picture. Because there was a, in those, in, in those there is, it's pursuit yes. and connection. It's that seduction of it all. It is. Yes. It really is. And so those are, in my mind, could create the longings that I wanted physically, that are absolutely physically fleeting. Well, right, because it's not real. And it's yeah. only, it's not real, it's a fantasy. And so at that point then, it truly is learning, okay, what is it? Okay, if, I, if, there's, if there's a trigger, okay, what, where am I not feeling loved or where, for, where am I feeling anxious or where am I feeling um, out of, I, like I don't control something? That's areas then that I have to go, okay, God, you're in control. What, what's my next step? Just, just what's my next step? 
Good, Kenton. It's one of those things, you know, we're going to have a conversation, the conversation that the podcast that follows this one um, is about an uh, interview with Tyrone Johnson. He talks about vulnerability, and it, I feel like that's where we're going on this. So we're going to continue this in some fashion or form. We'll just have to figure it out. But now I have a, we can take a breath. I have something a little bit easier for you. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I do. I need to take a breath. <laughs> okay, here we go. That was so good, Kenton. Okay, so now I'm going to do, um, this is a stanza that helps the listening audience really get a pulse on who you are and where you're from. It's called I am from. So I will give you four prompts and you will start each of those prompts with I am from, and then you will respond to the specific prompt. Okay. Okay. The first is I am from, and you will list sights, sounds, and smells from your neighborhood growing up. I am from a fairly tranquil and, um, what was perceived as the typical neighborhood so you in have America. To, so Very gotta, peaceful. Okay, you got to break this down for me, Kenton. You're giving me general. I need you to go down deep. I need. So what was the specific sight? What was the specific sounds that you remember hearing, the noises and the smells? Okay, so uh, what I picture uh, from my neighborhood is we lived on a hill, and it was a street that had cars going by, but it was, it, it basically... Um, uh, was houses lined up in a row. What it smell the neighborhood, like? The neighbor, the neighbors knew each other okay. and running across the street to my friends and so and you... very accessible. So that's my sight when I picture homes. And I am from, and and what are your smells? I am from smells. Um, uh, coming in and um, smelling pancakes in the morning when my mom would make pancakes in Good. the morning. Okay, you're warming up. You're, you're warming up now. Okay, I am from. What are your favorite foods? Oh, I am uh, from uh, hamburgers and French fries, cheese fries, and Italian food. So they can't see you, but I'll tell them when you said cheese fries, you got a little kitchen and giddy up right there. Okay, I think, I think it's Snuffers. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was your love song right there. Okay, I am from, and these are family sayings or words you heard in your um, family growing up. Uh, I am from. I love you. Um, I am from do your best. I am from, hey, here's what you need to think about. That's good, kitten. And then I am from, and you're going to list virtues of people that you call friends in your life. So I am from, and what are consistent virtues of the people that you call friends? Mm. I am from fun, uh, joking, laughing. Sharing challenges and frustrations. Uh, most importantly, I am from foundational on Christ. Everything circling, everything in life experience about how it relates back to Jesus. Um, and I am from authenticity with my friends. It's good, Kenton. You're alive? You well? I'm alive. You I'm alive. <laughs> feel like you survived the porch? I you yeah. did a phenomenal job. We are honored that you said yes and that you came and helped us with the completion of this story and testimony and um, journey that you and Carla have had. It's well, important for people. So thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And for our listening audience, we are so grateful. We hope that this has been relevant to you and that there has been takeaway that will change the legacy of your life and how you move through the world and how you see others that are placed before you with great intention. If you are interested in leaving a comment about this show or the next, which will be with Tyrone Johnson talking about vulnerability and the 
different facets of that, we encourage you to go to miaembro.com, hit that leave a comment button and join the conversation. You are welcome to access this podcast on any platform such as Spotify and iTunes, Stitcher. We're grateful for you as always, and we hope that you find rest for your souls. As we bring another episode to a close, we want to thank you and check out our website at miaembro.com. That's M-I-A-M-B-R-O-H.com. Leave us a message or feedback. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast to receive the latest episodes. And join us next time as we discuss what's on your souls.